0: Okay, so I've got a secret. I've got a secret. Just that phrase, I've got a secret. It just gets your attention, doesn't it? If somebody says to you, say, hey, come here, I want to tell you a secret. There's nobody that would say, well, no, I don't want to know your secret. We all want to know the secret. You know, what's, this? Well, what's the secret? You're going to tell me a secret? I want to hear a secret. Secrets are powerful. I mean, it, it's the secret to success. Just ask Coca-Cola. For over a century, they have a closely guarded secret. And that secret has made them a lot of money. KFC, the colonel, he did a lot of good by keeping his 11 secret herbs and spices a secrets. We all want to know a secret. Scripture tells us that God has got a secret. In the book of Colossians, we read about that, chapter 1. It says, the mystery, that's the same word for secret there, the secret, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them, to them, that's us, the church, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's this secret? Right there, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the secret, God's powerful secret is jesus christ jesus christ in me and in you paul writes about this secret because the secret has been entrusted to the church god's people not a building or an organization but the people of god and he writes in first timothy chapter 3 he says this i hope to come to you soon but i am writing these instructions to you so that if i'm delayed you may know how one ought to behave in the household of god Uh, which is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and bulwark of truth. Without any doubt, the mystery, the secret of our religion is great. He was revealed in flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, and taken up in glory. You see, the secret God gave to the church is one that he gave us to share. It, we all know what it's like to be left out of a secret to have somebody tell a secret in our presence and for us to not be Included in that secret we feel disconnected. We feel left out But but scripture makes it really clear that God gave his secret to the church So that way the church would share the secret of faith and that's the church's job In fact is to reveal the secret of God to receive, to reveal the mystery of our faith you see, the church is a lot like a magnifying glass. Uh, those of you that got here in enough time, you, you got a magnifying glass. You know, we, we didn't want to say just the first 500 people in the door got a magnifying glass. It just happened that way. Um, but there's something about a magnifying glass. Nobody gets a magnifying glass just to look at the magnifying glass. You get a magnifying glass to look at something else, don't you? You get a magnifying glass to to reveal something. And that's what the church is. The church is a magnifying glass. And it is our job as people of faith, as Christians, as believers, to share that secret. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, I don't know that I qualify in that realm. I'm I'm interested. I'm looking. I've I've got a magnifying glass out and I'm looking for something. Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the church is supposed to do, is to reveal the mystery of faith. What are the historical truths or the secrets of this? There's four. I want to share them with you real quick. The first is this, is that Christ has come. When we think about the gospel, if you look through the New Testament and you look at the writings of the early church and you ask them, what is the core of Christianity? What is sort of the secret sauce? You get sort of this really basic strong testimony that in history, Christ came. That Christ came in the flesh as a person, as God made man and it was Jesus who was the secret of God and he came. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word that's Jesus became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And so that's the first part of the secret, that Christ came. And we know that he did. There's historians and scripture and many testimonies to the fact that Jesus was a real man who really came, who really showed up. But that's not all of it. Christianity testifies that there's one other important piece of this too, and that is that Christ dominated Christ has come, and Christ has died. Not only is Jesus God in the flesh, he is also the perfect sacrifice. We read about this in Philippians chapter 2. Paul, an early church uh, writer, uh, writes this. He says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so if you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... These books that are dedicated in the New Testament are just telling us about the life of Jesus Christ. We read that Jesus is a man who came, he was the God man who came, and that he went to a cross and died. And at that night, we call that Good Friday, when Jesus had died, it looked as though the church had died as well. Because again, the church is just a magnifying glass, right? And it's, only as bright as what it's focused on. It's only as helpful as what you're looking at through it. And the church, this, this early group of believers, these we call them disciples or apostles, they had followed Jesus for three years. And when Jesus died, the text of scripture tells us that they were in deep despair and it looked like everything was over. They were afraid that what the authorities had done to Jesus, they were going to do to them. And so they went and they hid. But we know the rest of the story. That's why we're here, right? The third secret of the faith is this, is that Christ is risen. Now notice, this one is in present tense. Christ has come. Yes, that's true. He did come. He did die. But today, we don't define him by his death. We define him by his resurrection, And so for us today, we say Christ is risen. Not that it is a one-time event, but a a, a one-time event that has effects for us all, for all of time. Even into eternity, the resurrection of Jesus is powerful. And that's the good news of the faith. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We read that part, but here's the rest of it. It says, therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend at heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is the message of the gospel, that Jesus came as a real man in real history, that he really gave his life on the cross, and that he really was raised from the dead. That is the amazing truth, the secret of God, Revealed to us Paul writes about this elsewhere in 1st Corinthians. He says this he says I handed on to you as of first Importance what I in turn had received Paul is writing to this church and he says listen the very most important thing The first thing you need to know as a Christian before anything else is this He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, that's all of the disciples, then he appeared to more five hundred, more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You see, Paul is making it clear, That Jesus' resurrection for him was a historical fact. It wasn't that Jesus came back to life just to him, or he felt that Jesus was alive in his heart. He is giving us what we might think of where Tim Keller refers to as the ancient equivalent of footnotes. He says, listen, Jesus was resurrected. If you don't believe me, you could ask Peter, or you could ask James, or you could ask the 12 disciples, or you know about those 500 brothers and sisters. You could ask one of them. They're still alive. A few have died, but most haven't. You see, for Christianity, the secret, the truth, the mystery is this, is that Christ really came, he really died, and he was really resurrected. And not only that, but we gather every week because we have a hope that he is also going to come again. You see, if Jesus was able to return from the dead, then he clearly has power over death. And if he's got power over death, he's got power that none of us have. And so we are confident that he has power to come back and take us to be with him forever. John chapter 14 says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. You know, there's a lot of things about Christianity that that I have studied and I have learned and that I believe. But I I will tell you, if if we were in a situation where you had to say, you know, what are the things you believe for absolute certain? I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff I could say, well, maybe I'm not 100% sure about that. Maybe I'm not 100% sure about this. Maybe we don't get this 100% right. But I think what every Christ follower would have to say, the non-negotiable piece of Christianity is this, is that Christ has come, that Christ has died, and that Christ is risen and he's coming again. This has been taught as a historical fact for over 2,000 years. The church has been a magnifying glass revealing this truth for the world because Christ didn't give us the secret to keep it to ourselves. He gave it to us so that way we would be people that reveal that truth. And this morning we celebrate that, that simple, historical, beautiful mystery that Christ has come, he has died, he has risen, and he's coming again. My favorite thing about magnifying glasses is isn't that they make things bigger. It's that you can start a fire. them. <laughs> <laughs> This is the best part, right? You get a good sunny day, you get yourself a magnifying glass, and you take out a piece of paper, which all you should burn with a magnifying glass. And you can just, you get it angled just right, and you get that bright bead of light, and it just, it just bursts into flames. I mean, that's that's just fantastic. I mean, you start a fire with light. I mean, that's that's so cool. That's so cool. You think about the church, and the church does that. The church has the ability to, to certify inside of our souls, inside of the world, inside of the community. Why is that? It's because the church magnifies the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in John fourteen twelve. 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father." Jesus said, listen, he said, you know, while I'm here, I'm a man, and and in some sense, I'm limited. I'm limited by geography and space and time. But when I go to the Father, he says, those of you that turn yourselves towards me, you will be able to do even greater things than I can do. Jesus is like the sun, the sun out in the sky. I hope you were able to get outside yesterday. You were able to get outside yesterday, go to the sun and warmth, yes. Some of you just stayed in the dark closet all day yesterday. That's okay. Some people, that's your thing. Um, but if you were out yesterday, you know the sun was beautiful and it was shining. And if we all ran outside with our magnifying glasses, guess what? You could. We could have all had a little piece of paper and we could have all angled it and we could have all started a small little fire wherever we were. You know, if you think about it, everybody in Bowling Green, if they'd had a magnifying glass, could have gone out and done that. And everybody in the state of Kentucky could have gone out and done that. And, Everybody where there was sunshine could have gone out and done that. You know, it's not like an electrical cord where you can plug in only so many things and then it all just kind of erupts and sparks and a breaker trips. I mean, if we all ran out with our magnifying glasses, we could all start a fire. We wouldn't have to wait, you know, only 100 people at a time. You know, at first you're going to do it and then our side's going to do it. There's going to be enough sunshine to power everybody's magnifying glass because that's how the sun is. Jesus is the same way. Jesus says, listen, while I am here, I am limited, he said, but when I go to the Father, he said, I'm going to be like the sun shining down on you, and if you will just turn yourself towards me, you'll angle that lens towards me, guess what, you can do even greater things than I can do. You leave a piece of paper out in the sun, what will happen? It will get yellow, it might get a little brown or crispy, but it's not until you put a magnifying glass against it that it will burst into flames. That's how it is." And that's what we, as Christians, are called to do. It's amazing if you think about it. Jesus was a man. He was a carpenter from an obscure town called Nazareth. And yet 2,000 years later, think about this, 2,000 years later, over 2 billion people, or about 2 billion people, on planet Earth, call themselves a Christian. Why is that? It's because the church. Has angled itself towards Jesus, maybe not always through the stream, but it has always attempted to angle itself towards Jesus to magnify His power, to magnify His presence in the world in which we find ourselves. Back to that text in Timothy where it says, that "The church is the bulwark and pillar of truth." We we know what a pillar is, it holds up something, but we don't use the word a bulwark a whole lot. A bulwark really is it's a foundation. You could say a foundation and pillar of the truth. Now we get that a little bit better, don't we? The church has a foundation. Scripture makes it real clear that the foundation is Jesus Christ. And on that foundation the apostles built. And, and now the church is building on that foundation of Jesus Christ. And now Paul says we're to be a pillar holding up something, angling ourselves towards something. And what is that? It is the truth that he writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are lifting up Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Today, friends, the church gets into a lot of trouble when it angles itself and lifts up something or somebody other than Jesus Christ. You know, you build a church on somebody other than Jesus, and you build a cult of personality. It happened in the church of Corinthians uh, real, real early in Christian history. And Paul writes to them. He says, what are these people that you're lifting up? He says, they're only magnifying glasses. Well, he says it a little differently. He says, they're God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. Paul says, listen, nobody nobody gets a magnifying glass just to look at me." You get it to focus it on something. Now, all these people that have been in your church, Paul says, he says, all they are is servants of God. All they are is working for God. What you need to do is not pay attention to the magnifying glass, but what it's magnifying. You don't need to pay attention to the servant, but who they're serving. Some people build churches on the rules. They take a magnifying glass and they just focus on the fine print. Paul well, says, that's not real helpful either. Colossians 3, he says this, he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all the rules we focus on. He says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. You tell somebody, don't go in there. <laughs> that's right where they're going to go. Go to any door but this one. That's how it works. You see, none of these things are going to last. You focus on people, they're going to not last. We call that death. You focus on rules, those aren't going to last. It'll be replaced by something else. If you want to magnify something, something that has true power, we're told to magnify Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that has power over death. He's the only one that has the power to bring new life. It's Jesus Christ. And so this morning, perhaps you're here, you're just saying, man, I just wanted to come to a place where I could magnify Jesus Christ. I hope you've been able to do that this morning. Others of you, you say, well, I've come here and I'm looking, I'm looking for something. What are we looking for? Maybe we don't even know. I think a lot of people start looking for things. They're not sure what they're looking for. But we're just looking for something. Here's what I believe very much about us is that we're all a magnifying glass and we're all looking to be focused on something that matters, that is meaningful, and that has power. And as far as I can tell, in my own experience, limited as it is, that one thing that gives us the answers and the power is Jesus Christ. Uh, John Lennox talks about this. He was talking to a man who had spent uh, several years in a, a Siberian death camp, one of those gulags in Siberia, where it's covered with snow most of the time, and then the rest of the time it's covered in mosquitoes. And he was talking to this man who had spent some time there as, as a Christian. He went to prison because he was teaching the Bible to your children. That was his crime. You were teaching Scripture to your children, and so they put him into the Siberian death camp. And as he was telling John Lennox about these things that had happened, John Lennox started listening to this and he said, man, these are things that no human being should ever have to see with their eyes or experience ever. And as he was relaying with John Lennox said, I just had this wave of emotion sweep over me. He said, and I just thought, what would I have done if I had been there? And he said, I don't know that I would have had the strength to be faithful the way that he was. And he's just thinking this to himself, and he said it was like this Russian man could read his thoughts, and he looked at him, and he smiled. He said, you couldn't handle it, could you? And Lennox, he kind of smiled, and he laughed, when he said, no, I, I don't think i could." And the Russian smiled, and he said, I, I couldn't have either. He said, he said, before I went in there, he said, I was a man that fainted at the sight of my own blood, let alone that of others. And he said, but in camp, I realize this, is that God does not help us to face theoretical situations, but real ones. He says, like you, I couldn't imagine how one could cope in the gulag. But once I was there, I found that God met me exactly as Jesus had promised his disciples when he was preparing them for their own victimization and persecution. You see, this man found the truth that countless of others Christians have found is that when you are in a dark place, in a difficult situation, there's a lot of things you can focus on. You can focus on the difficulties, and you can focus on the darkness, but it's not until you focus on the light, and you focus on Jesus Christ, that's when you bring light into a dark situation. And so this morning, perhaps you're here, and yet, as you think about yourself, you think, I'm in a dark place, and I need the light of Christ. This morning, as we celebrate Easter We celebrate the life breaking through the darkness. We celebrate life breaking through death.